0: Hello and welcome back to this very special mini-series all around the topics of my debut novel, Olive, which is out today. In lieu of a launch party, I decided to release this four-part series. Featuring four different women and their varying experiences and attitudes towards motherhood. It's sort of centred around Olive, who's the main character, who's child free, and her three best friends, B, Cecily and Isla, who were all going through their own versions of motherhood. So today's guest is Jessica Hepburn. Jessica is an author, an arts producer, and she is an adventure activist. A phrase that she has coined herself she used to work in the theatre business and she is now one of the uk's leading voices on fertility infertility and the science of modern families she went through 11 rounds of ivf and she has become a pioneer in raising awareness of what it means to struggle to create the family that you long for and how we can live as big and bravely as possible when life doesn't go to plan I absolutely love this episode and recording it with Jessica. I really am grateful to her for opening up and sharing her story. I just found it really moving, really inspiring. And I know that people listening will probably resonate and that she is far from alone with her story. So I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. And Olive is out now so you can get it from any of your favourite retailers And I really hope you enjoy it. So here is the episode and make sure you check out the other episodes in the series. So I'm really thrilled to be joined by Jessica Hepburn. I am so excited to talk to you. I wondered if we could just start off by talking about how you started to become a bit of a spokesperson for, I guess, talking about IVF, about how you realise, actually, this is something I don't really want to be secret about anymore.
1: And you're absolutely right, Emma. It was like a very secret part of my life for nearly a decade. Well, probably a decade. So like, my I suppose my fertility story starts when I was in my early 30s or early to mid 30s. And I've just been reading your amazing book and exactly the sort of same age as Olive. And I had an amazing job. Uh, I was running the Lyric Hammersmith, which is a big theatre in London. And I had met the man that I wanted to spend my life with. I'd always known that I wanted to have a family, but I also wanted a career. They were sort of like not, like I wanted them both you know to use that sort of cliche yeah. i i wanted to have it all and thought i could have it all and so uh you know we made the decision to start trying and like so many women that i you know that i've met and that i know you know you think you're going to get pregnant immediately and um, because that's what we're all told the moment you don't use contraception you're going to get pregnant and then you don't get pregnant immediately um and what happened with us is that after about a year of trying we went to a fertility clinic which is a big thing and we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility and that was the start of what would then become like a decade long struggle to conceive that ultimately involved 11 rounds of IVF which is really at the extreme end of the IVF spectrum and as I said I was really secret about that and everything that I was going through which was horrible and I I really felt like I like had these two lives that publicly I was this really successful woman a career woman and then privately I was on this desperate mission to become a mother and I think there are so many reasons that I didn't talk about it and a big part was shame that like I couldn't do what other women found so easy to do and another thing was you know guilt that like women had fought for so long to be seen as more than wives and mothers Mm -hmm. that somehow like it was a betrayal to admit that actually all I wanted like this brilliant career that I had wasn't enough Mm -hmm. all I wanted was to be a mother so that was the background and then exactly as you said I wrote about it and the floodgates opened
0: Mm, yeah, it sounds sounds like you absolutely were not alone, even in that moment of probably feeling like you maybe were, which I feel like is the case for all of these real true stories. Whether it's mental health or wh- whether it's fertility, it's like so many people must have been feeling how you were feeling. I wondered, did you feel like at the time you were getting all sorts of strange, like unsolicited advice? I feel like that must have been a hard thing as well when people feel like they have the answers and you know no one does with this stuff
1: yeah yeah well like because I was so secretive about it and wasn't even telling my closest family and friends right I sort of avoided that a bit but uh, you know and I know that that is a massive thing with people who do tell people that you know people are coming up with just relax you know you know stop thinking about it or maybe it's not meant to be you know all those really hurtful comments Mm -hmm. which I also have to say is that I like really sort of counsel people to try and forgive people for those comments because they're never they're they're very rarely said from like uh, you know a place of trying to hurt you it's just that we haven't got a language for all this yet so yeah i didn't i i didn't suffer that so much, but having said that, you know like people it becomes clear i think to people that somehow especially in your sort of peer group when everyone is getting pregnant. And I mean, obviously you've got, you write about this beautifully in your book, that like, and and you're left behind, Isla, who's, uh, who's wanting to conceive, is left behind. And then what happens is you stop being invited to baby showers and christenings and birthday parties because people don't want to hurt your feelings. And, but the, I always say that that's almost you don't want to go to things but it's actually almost worse than not being invited to those things because you start to feel a bit like a leper you know
0: totally i mean i wanted to ask you actually about friendships because um i suppose that's sort of why i wanted to explore this topic is that it can get quite sticky with how we are when we become jealous or when we become hurt or you know we're going through something deeply deeply emotional like that i mean How did you cope when some of your friends started having babies and things? Did it affect the friendship from either side or not really?
1: Yeah, it it totally did. And it's a really, a really sad thing. Like I wrote about in my first book about my best friend, because I'm not your books a novel, but my books are like auto fiction or memoir. I'm the central character. And I wrote about my best friend who... Was trying. We were both trying to get pregnant at the same time, and in fact, she was struggling to get pregnant as well. Um, and she was on a list to have IVF, and she was slightly ahead of me. And I remember she called me, um, and I said, "How's the IVF going? You know, have you got any news?" And I could. I just knew from the silence that she was pregnant. And you, you become so finely attuned to like other people where other Mm. people are. And I just remember feeling, and this, I think this is a really such a cruel thing, which is that like, there is no word in the English language for feeling happy for someone and sad for yourself at the same time. Mm. And that is what I felt and that I felt that I had sort of been robbed of enjoying what should have been an amazing moment with my best friend about her getting pregnant, but I couldn't. And, and and then it becomes really hard for her as well because she feels your pain and doesn't want to put you through that. Um, but I, I have to say that like for me, and this is like, I, I often say to women who are going through what I went through, talk to people you know you don't have to do what I did and tell the world but what happened when I did tell the world is that it immediately made all those relationships so much better because it wasn't the elephant in the room anymore Mm -hmm. I, I could just be you know like this is Jessica and it's a part of me but it is not all of me but when it was a secret when it was so full of shame and pain, it felt to me like it was all of me and The moment I sort of wrote about it and came out about it, and I used that phrase you know consciously it it sort of healed not uh, not only a lot for me but also a lot of those relationships and I genuinely just as a final thing on that, I just genuinely think that if I hadn't like some of those relationships would have been broken forever down to down to me largely because of the pain of them. But, but now they've been repaired.
0: You were th- in your early thirties when you said you started doing IVF. Was Instagram, Instagram wasn't as like, widely no. used, for example. Do you think that it was slightly better, perhaps that you didn't have other people's lives like in your face kind of every day? But there was Facebook
1: and they, you know, and I, I wrote about this, you know, like like Facebook was a, te- was a horrible place. You know, people scam photos and and the, and there were also like forums and communities online with other um women going you know through fertility struggles and I would definitely stalk those um and, and you know like I'd be on those all the time looking at where other people were and what they were going through and what they were doing i mean I never ever disclose myself i like i mean and i for a long time like my first book i was gonna it was going to be in, uh, uh, written under a pseudonym, you know, um, and I was going to call myself Jessica Harper. Harper is my grandmother's maiden name, and then my editor did a Google search and saw that there was a Harper who defrauded Lloyd's Bank of a million pounds, and decided to mix up. But actually, I also realised that I had to write it as me because I really wanted to also use it as a vehicle to change the conversation and i could only really do that if i was me and like there's still so much work to do around this and one of the things i mean i think i've told you this already emma that i you know like has intrigued me and um and shocked me in a way about your book because you're like a generation over a generation younger than me is that those things are still that conversation is still the same those dilemmas those issues that um, those taboos are still the same. But, like, so we still got work to do. But I hope that in being able to come out and share my story that I've helped move the conversation on a bit.
0: Definitely. Definitely. It is strange how the the conversation is still sticking around a little bit. I mean, I know that my central character is child-free by choice. I think that is different from being child-free and wanting it in the first place
1: but what's really interesting me about olive is because i have always said because she because in a way she sort of challenged me a little bit because i have always said that i think it is very different if you're a woman who knows you don't want to have children and that i mean i you know i i know that she's you know asking that question of herself but um what sort of interested me is that she was still she is still going through a lot of the sort of questions and feelings that I went through as someone who really like did want to have children so so yeah I I was surprised um, and, and obviously you have another character in the book that's much more similar to my story um of trying and not and not and not being able to have children but yeah I was interested in yeah that that conversation is there are similarities and you're right, and you're totally right we're not beyond this yet I, and I and Um, along for the day when women can just be women whatever their choice is
0: yeah it's funny because I wonder if this having it all thing that is so outdated really on paper but I wonder if Instagram is responsible for this new brand of the mum who does it all and like is the CEO who has five children and wears really expensive dresses it's like that's marketed at young people still so it's almost like that weird idea of like what successes is perpetuated still even though there are many women who want to do things very differently to that
1: totally and also one of the other things which is a slightly different topic that is really important is that i really don't think it helps when you see sort of celebrities you know really successful musical or acting or other careers and then suddenly they're in their late 40s and they got a baby and they don't and it's really difficult because I I, on the one hand totally respect their desire for privacy I mean like we saw this with Cameron Diaz recently you totally know and I love Cameron Diaz totally and I totally respect that privacy of not wanting to explain but on the other hand i think it's really really hard for young women because you then look at a woman in her late 40s and think well it's okay to like have an amazing career and then have a child and it's it is totally okay but you need to understand the conditions in which that is able to happen and uh, and i just don't i just really don't think there's enough information about that
0: you're so so right and i think that's why as well when child free by choice women get annoyed at the whole like oh but you know you might change your mind I try and be forgiving to that comment sometimes as well because it's not them saying no you must have one might be them saying you know there is a ticking time bomb here which is a whole other part of it like you say
1: there's a ticking I think the really important thing to say is that there's a ticking time bomb in terms of which I just really want women to understand more, which is in terms of their own natural fertility. So, um, you know, like that That actually, I know a lot of women will say that they know this and it's really difficult. People don't want to have children at the biologically optimum age of your 20s or they can't, they're not in a position with, you know, financially or socially or whatever to have children. But there is definitely a time on with regards to your own, a, a woman's fertility, which is totally unequal to a man's, which is so unfair. But there is this amazing science, reproductive science, that gives us opportunities from egg freezing to egg donation. But it's about women understanding better what that means, you know, the like what the costs of that, what the implications of those are, you know. And I don't, I just really don't think there's enough understanding or conversation around all of that. But I do think that, and you know, I'm someone who went through 11 rounds of IVF unsuccessfully and I'm still at the heart of the fertility industry trying to help other people have the families that I know so many people dream of having. But I, it's partly because I'm sort of so incentivized to make... Sure, that people sort of really think, understand what this science can do, what it can't do, and make the best decisions for their lives.
0: Mm. I, I wondered if I could ask you a little bit about some of the inspirational women that you spoke to, the 21 women, because um, I think I read somewhere that you took quite a lot of uh, comfort from Prue Leith. And the fact that she has a biological child and an adopted child and I think we need more of that as well more uh just examples of what a family can look like because family as we know can mean many different things
1: yeah totally no I am really passionate about you're talking about the different ways of making families yeah i mean in my second book i went on this journey of meeting all these amazing women to answer essentially answer this question does motherhood make you happy did i need to find some way somehow to become a mother or could i have a fulfilling life without children and uh, it's basically uh, the the book is also sort of harnessed in the fact that I decided I was going to swim the English Channel because I felt I needed to do something different with my life after all this fertility treatment. So, what was incredible is that I met all these women and we. They, I said, will you meet with me and eat with me to help me get fat to swim the channel because you have to put on weight. So, loads of people said yes. I think I think because they thought, who is this woman? You know, she's been through 11 rounds of IVF um, and now she's swimming the channel. It was amazing eating uh, meeting Prue, Prue, although I was very disappointed because. She ate a peach, <laughs> um, and I thought we were going to have cake together. Um <laughs> yes, yeah, she—it was a very good-looking peach. But yes, I was really wanted to meet her because she, as you said, Emma, she has one adopted child and um, one biological child. One of the things, and I was really interested in adoption. I mean, one of the really important things, and and um, and Prue said this is that adoption is an amazing route to parenthood. But it is different from having your own biological child. And one of the things that women and men, I'm sure, are, you know, like when you can't have a child, you know, like when I've done feature pieces in the Daily Mail or whatever, you like, you never want about my story, you'd like never look below the line because like it's just full of people saying, why doesn't she just adopt? Why doesn't she just adopt? Why doesn't she just adopt? And, you know, I think Prue said, There is no just in adoption. It is a different route to parenthood. It's an amazing route to parenthood. And this, in a way with the book, but also all the work I do around fertility education, it's about like hopefully giving young women a better understanding of all the routes to family and life fulfillment. One of which could be not having children. And and giving them those, like an understanding of those choices, you know, before they're in the position of needing to make those choices or, or even more importantly, in a position of pain where the route that they thought to parenthood isn't happening. And so they're then thinking like, what does my life, you know, it is so, so hard if what you want is a child and you can't make that happen it feels like a like a terminal diagnosis like you're not going to be able to be happy without this thing and so i just want people to sort of know all those roots from a much earlier age and so you can then you know you can think like well i'm gonna do adoption or i'm gonna do egg donation when i'm 45 or i'm gonna freeze my eggs now or i'm gonna you know like have babies B in your book has three kids in her 20s, she in her 20s when she mm-hmm. has, you know, like, or, or I'm going to wait until my mid 30s and or late 30s, and maybe it will be totally fine. Or mm-hmm. maybe I won't get pregnant immediately. And I'll have to use IVF and it might not work immediately. And it's like, we need more information about all that stuff.
0: We really do. And we also need, I think, more of these conversations of just having that kind of open hearted empathy for other people, because uh, one thing I've really noticed during lockdown is people making kind of off the cuff comments of like, lucky you being in lockdown without children and, you know, uh, the child free privilege of having more free time during lockdown. And I'm thinking, I don't mind it being said to me because I actually do think I don't necessarily want to have children so it it doesn't hurt me when people say that but then I think well there're probably people out there in lockdown whose fertility treatments are being put on hold and that's not really the kindest thing to say without yeah. realizing what people are going through.
1: Oh totally. I mean you already feel your you know like running against the clock you know if you're someone who's struggling to conceive so yeah the fact that people's fertility treatment was halted during in the early days of lockdown was so hard for that patient group but like equally there's something else which goes on which is people you know well like this is a time when everyone has been talking about family you know like when you can see your mm. family when you can hug your grandparents when you can you know like and if you're someone who really wants that or wanted that and you haven't got that that absence has been so illuminated by this time and that's tough you know like it's hard it's hard yeah mm-hmm. and you know like i i always say like i have had an amazing time you know, like I, I've turned like a really sad thing into my life, into something really positive, and I have an amazing life. Um, but I always say, like, I'm never getting over this pain. It's coming with me for the rest of my life. And sometimes, you know, I'm on Zooms and everyone's with their family and I'm not. Like, that's hard, because I haven't got that. Lockdown has been an amazing thing for me in many, many ways, but like, it has had it's you know hard things in in terms of that and you I, I just have to go well okay that that's that but then here's a new day and how are we're going to make it the best possible day but it's, it's definitely not just easy for people who don't have children it's complicated.
0: Absolutely and I think maybe someone visiting your website and thinking, wow, this is someone who lives such an amazing life post everything you've been through. You're probably a massive inspiration for a lot of other women. It doesn't mean that that pain is not still no. there. In many, and that's really important for people to, to always know, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like wrote books and then I saw the channel and now I'm training to climb Everest. You know, I'm like, li- I'm trying to live the biggest life that I can live. Given the life that I wanted, that I couldn't live, like if that is an inspiration to other people, and I know, you know, I, that it has been, and that and that is amazing, that's brilliant. But I I also know it has another side, which is it it, it you know it's it's that Instagram thing, you know, which is like it looks really great and of course it has its dark moments as well and that can be you know like it can be hard for other people when you see someone doing all these things but but I just like I've done it to I, I'm just living the best life that I can live for me and clearly I am someone of extremes right you don't go through 11 rounds of up yet if you're not someone who lives like to the extreme so it sort of makes sense that I've ended up doing these other really really big things I haven't gone from a pace of darkness into a place of light. It's funny, actually, I was listening to your interview with Julia Cameron and I think she would, she talks differently about it. You know, she talks very much about moving into a place of positivity, whereas I I am someone who feels like I will always live with the light and the shade. And that's been what my story has been about.
0: Of course, I'm always very aware of, Very, very positive and optimistic people when they speak because if that's the way they live, that's amazing. But I think sometimes too much positivity can be a bit off-putting in terms of, um, you know, serious conversations. I wondered if I could talk to you again just a little bit about friendship and how that might have changed over the years because I don't know how old some of your friends' kids might be now, but I'm hearing from other women who are child-free that sometimes there can be this time where you can be like this really really great friend and support and people can like look at your life and think "Oh, I wish I had more time or you could look at them and think I wish you know there's always this push and pull have any of your friendships still felt like you've needed to kind of be really clear on communication or how have they changed?
1: I think what all friendships are different and I think I would totally agree with you like I have lots of friends who've got children they're now all in secondary school um you know going going through all that sort of teenage angst with them I know that you know like I, I I really acknowledge that they have even though they have what I want not just what I wanted what I still part of me still wants I also acknowledge that I have things that they want, you know, and that I have a lot of female friends whose careers have been, have stalled, or not just career. I mean, careers, like a dirty word in a way, you know, like, their life fulfillment hasn't, they they have had to subjugate to being a parent, first and foremost. I haven't had to do that. Like I get up every day now and go, how do I make this the most fulfilling life for Jessica? You know, sometimes I wish it, I really sometimes wish I didn't have to do that because it would actually be nice to have someone else that was more important than me. (laughs) And I can see that that really happens when you're a parent. But I think the thing that I've learned about friendship is like I I know a lot of people and I have a lot of friends, but you have different types of friends and at different types times of your life. And one of the things that really surprised me, happily surprised me, is that actually some of the people that in the fertility world that have been most supportive to me have been people who are mothers, you know, and actually I I to- and I, I totally love that, that I've got some really close relationships with and had huge empathy from mothers. Because I, I definitely felt for a while, Emma, that I wasn't ever going to be able to be friends with people who are mothers because my life was different. But I also feel like if we can, it's so beneficial to have like a few, it doesn't need to be many, but like a few people in your life Ideally, people you've travelled with for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I ha- I'm really lucky and I have a few of those people. And definitely I feel like like my honesty about my experience may help me hold on to those at a time when they that was really fragile. But I have got them and we're and what is brilliant, what is totally brilliant is that we just meet each other as we are, you know, in our you know, in like, this is my life and it isn't perfect. And that's your life and it isn't perfect. But like, we've got this amazing friendship that's lasted since we were kids. Like like the girls in your book, you know. Mm.
0: I absolutely love that. I love that so much because I really feel like this divide that maybe isn't even there. Maybe it's sometimes in our minds with mums and non-mums and this strange division that sometimes might happen. It might, but to me, I just feel like it's, it's just a weird barrier that doesn't make sense to be there. And there is no divide. And, and I th- and I can understand why you found so much support in, in those women. And and also, maybe some people would find it surprising that you went on to do so much work in the fertility space, but it makes sense that you would want to still carry on being in that space.
1: And I definitely, I do think it's quite unusual But I I definitely think there's a stubborn part of me that has gone, like, you won't ostracize me, you know, like you won't, you won't, or I won't outcast myself. I will stay because I often say, like, I am. More a mother than some mothers because I spend so much time trying to be a mother and thinking about being a mother. So like I, it's been really important. And and you know and 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 of course it still hurts sometimes. But you know it is sometimes quite good to keep pressing the bruise. You know it's good to remind, remember, like it's just a bruise and it hurts for a moment, and then it's okay you know mm-hmm. um so let's do, I, i'm not advocating like this as the right way but it is a way that has worked
0: for me yeah and also that nuance i think is so important that uh what you just said about like you can be maternal nurturing we can be mothers there's a lot of different ways to be mothering and to be a mother and i think that's at the heart of kind of what i've wanted to say in my book as well is it's a word and also and it's a feeling and it goes beyond the physicalities of it all sometimes yeah so that's really lovely
1: totally I write that it's it. it's not just a noun it's also a verb
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I might not be the noun but I hope I'm the verb mm.
0: if we could possibly end on just a little bit about the adventure activism that you do because I just as the first time I've heard that <laughs> terminology I love it I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about that, because it feels like it's kind of a bit contagious. Like watching you do all this stuff, it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to go and do? It's exciting.
1: Oh, wow. I like, um, I'll be interested to see what you do do. I mean, <laughs> I think, like, you've got to find your passions in life. You know, like life is so – even if you have children, like I still think we need our own individual passions – and i mean i like really i'm an, like I, i'm so glad you like i came up with that adventure activist and I, you know I, you know when you come up with a like a phrase like that you think oh god is it a bit mad but it sort of feels really right to me because i use these challenges that i do swimming the channel running the london marathon climbing everest to raise awareness around fertility so that's the activism in the adventure activism mm-hmm. i've found my I I think I found a passion that I didn't because I am no athlete I really really mean that I I really hate exercise still uh, you know I still do I hate the cold like my motto in life is you can never be too cozy um which you know like if you're going to swim the channel like it's not very good if you hate the cold because it's cold you can't wear a wetsuit and it's one of the hardest things about it but what I've discovered that I love is that with all these things and I think it's really significant that I've done different things is that I start from a position where I know nothing I know nothing about this thing and I then start to learn about it and meet amazing people who know that those worlds you know, intricately. And and in a way for the the, the course of that little adventure that I'm on, like they become my family, you know, they really do. So, you know, I have my swimming family, I have my mountaineering family, I have my running family and gradually this thing, and I choose challenges that I know at the beginning, like they're reachable, but they're, they're like just beyond reach. I mean, it's really hard swimming the channel, but it's not the hardest sea in the world to swim. It's the really hard climbing Everest. It's not the hardest mountain in the world. But like, I know that they're just, if I really work at it, they're just reachable for me. And then if I reach it, you know, especially with the channel and, and Everest, much more than marathons, because, you know, if you set out a marathon, you can get to the end. But with the sea and with the mountains, like it is like it's become a conversation with me and nature because like in the same way as having a baby like you can't you didn't you you can never guarantee that you'll be able to conceive and carry a baby and you can't guarantee you'll be able to cross the sea or climb a mountain because nature is in control and so yeah it's become like a conversation with me and nature and it's been an amazing thing for me sorry that was too
0: long no that was amazing and I loved reading about the first time you did something like that and hearing about the euphoria I think you say you felt after it and how like you say you it's a relationship with nature yeah and yeah it makes sense
1: I'm really like swimming the channel I mean the hardest thing about my journey to swim the channel was when I realized that actually however hard I worked at it getting across the channel was out of my control because ultimately, you know, if the weather turns like you, you can't make it. And then actually my swim, which took nearly 18 hours, you know, I was very, very sick for the first few hours. Then I got stung horrendously by jellyfish. Then I missed the tide and it took me five hours to land, you know, like there was so much pain. And then when you walk out on the beach, all that pain is eclipsed and all like I just looked back and i was just really quietly just going I swam from England to France wow. the, I, like I, I did it and the sea let me do it and it did feel like a bit like my version of giving birth you know like all that pain and then euphoria and so I think And I think that's why it sort of really captured people's imagination. You know, again, like the activism part, that that people could really see, like, how meaningful that had been and how it was like a metaphor for what I'd been through. But I think that's also why it was, you know, it's become so important. And these things, like, have totally filled my life in such a positive way. Mm. Um, and I want everyone to find their passion their adventure it doesn't necessarily need to be this but like find your thing because yeah. life is infinitely better when you do
0: yeah oh it's 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 such a beautiful symbolism for everyone being on their own path and also no one really being in control of their own lives and yeah
1: absolutely and now it's such a You know, like a brilliant example of that. And actually, you know, I have to say that everything that I've been through over the last two decades of my life just trained me for lockdown because, you know, and and for a situation, I mean, we're coming out of lockdown now, but who knows what is ahead of us, you know, but I'm actually, I've become comfortable in sitting with like, I don't know where this story ends but it will, it will continue for as long as it continues and, the, and, the, and there will be highs and there will be lows. But like, you know, it's the life that I'm living and it's, and it's short and it's horrible, but it's also magnificent. And that yeah. kind of is my philosophy on life, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the show must go on. Yeah. And when it does, you know, life can be quite beautiful. Um, well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and i'll link to both of your books um if people want more information i will put all of your website details and everything below so people can find out more so thank you
1: oh bless you and it's been lovely and best of luck with the launch of your amazing book